0: also want to look at the defenses and distractions to keep us from caring for
1: ourselves like we should. Hey guys, so today we are continuing with our 10-week series on the Enneagram, which is a fascinating look at personality but also at internal motivation. Last week, if you missed it, you might want to catch up. We talked about all of the different types. We explained exactly what the Enneagram is. Um, You can also go to SelfiePodcast.com right now to find out what your type is, and today we're going to do a deeper dive into type one, and then we're also going to have a little conversation about Botox, (laughs) what we think of it, (laughs) if we've done it, um, and how that might play into self-care.
0: Now, I do want to interject that we realize that not all of you are interested in the Enneagram. I cannot believe that, but whatever. But if you are here for the Botox, why don't you go ahead and skip to the 37-minute mark? You're welcome. So we have two type ones that we're interviewing today, which they know everything about being a one. So we thought, let's just like jump in a little bit on just some of the high points of what a one's all about.
1: Type one is the reformer. They want things done right. They are idealistic. They are principled, sometimes guided by their principles, and they are perfectionists.
0: Yes, perfectionist is the key word here. They strive higher. They want to improve everything. They're consistent with their ideals. Um, It's very important for them to be right, to have integrity, to be balanced. Um, On the flip side, type ones can deal with having resentment and anger. So when we talked to Lee last week, we didn't really go into, within each type, there are levels of healthiness within that type, ranging from a level one, where you're at your healthiest, down to a level nine, which is pretty much you don't really want to read level nine ever. <laughs> <laughs> which will make
1: you feel like a psychopath. Yeah,
0: exactly. So essentially, at their healthiest Type ones are conscientious with strong personal convictions. They have an intense sense of right and wrong. Um, They wish to be rational, reasonable, self-disciplined. Like you said last week, Kristen, these are the people that you want to be on a group project with. These are the people that you look to for um, meeting all the responsibilities and doing things right, right? Right.
1: Yes, absolutely. Now, I want to say that they are different than threes. Mm-hmm. Um, both Sarah and I are free. Are threes. We like to get things done. So these types can be easily confused. Threes like to get things done, but threes can be more slam at home. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't right. have to be perfect. It just needs to be completed. Ones can take their time. Yes. Um, and they can even be trapped in indecisiveness or, or perfectionism so that things don't actually get done because they're wringing their hands over making sure it's done correctly and right.
0: Exactly. And speaking of hand wringing, I'm glad you brought that up because when I when I found out I was a three, I thought, I really think I'm a one. And so on the Enneagram website that we'll link to on Selfie Podcast, you can actually look between like what are the differences between two numbers. And what I also found was that one's Their perfectionism is more inner-driven, whereas threes are more driven by the approval of others or image. image. So ones have this deep, intense inner drive to do things the right way that's coming from within, whereas threes could be more like, well, I'm doing this, but it's really because I want to look good,
1: (laughs) (laughs) which makes us sound so good, right? (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's super flattering. And threes can be more chameleon. We can we can shift um in you know the things that we're perfectionist over based on our audience and who we want to impress where ones they're consistent they're very principled you know yes. they um they have their ideals and they stick to them and when you look even at some of the people that um are thought to be ones you know we're looking at Joan of Arc Pope John Paul the 2nd
0: Mandela so you know these are these are people who are very principled and you as a one you need to look out for becoming obsessive about imperfection and the wrongdoing of others. And that's where when you're in more of an unhealthy period of being a one, you can really obsess about why isn't anyone doing it the right way and get really angry and resentful for that.
1: Yeah. And you can drive the people around you crazy, you know, (laughs) because you're so perfectionistic. Ones can be intolerant of other people. Um, You know, they can be rigid Um, And that can be frustrating for people who live with ones.
0: And there's a couple I noticed when I was reading about the ones too, just before we hop into these interviews, there are practices for growth that you can work on being a one. And one of them is that understanding that correctness Is not really part of the natural order, that rightness and correctness to kind of like be a little bit kinder to yourself, to recognize and minimize the internal critical voice. Because I think didn't I think Lee mentioned that last week too. ones have a major inner critic. That's always running on loop in the head. So allowing yourself to recognize that, to kind of shut that voice up, allow time to relax, play, and accept yourself. And I think
1: even if you're not a one, I think that these interviews will be really interesting to you because all of us have some ones in our lives. And hopefully this will help you understand them better, help you relate and work together in more peace, and give you a little more compassion for the ones in your life.
0: All right, guys, I think it's time we actually talk to a one. Today, we are speaking with Kendra Adachi, whose podcast entitled The Lazy Genius is kind of the coolest thing ever. Well, welcome, Kendra. I'm very excited to hear about your oneness my oneness <laughs> <Your> oneness <laughs> sometimes
2: i feel really good about my oneness and other days i'm super insecure about it so we'll see which we'll see
0: which <laughs> one comes out today well that's something that has come up several times with kristen and i it's i think everybody feels this about their type obviously there's some great traits. And there's also some really sketchy, scary ones. So, so <laughs> we, this we feel is you. True. So tell me, how did you, how did you learn about the Enneagram? Like when, when did this happen? Tell me the whole story. I've been, I've been
2: into it for a few years now. I don't remember who told me it was probably my sister. Cause you know, my sister tells me most things as sisters often do. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I, she just said, I know you love personality tests. This one freaked me out. Go read about it. <laughs> And I did. And um, I think the thing that I am so glad didn't happen is I did not take the test to figure out my type. Oh. Um, Yeah. I think that the test is a little, can be a little bit misleading sometimes because we answer things the way we want to be, you know? Yes. Yes. It's hard to kind of be uh, unbiased in that. And so I did not take the test. Someone told me, and I just always tell people this when they ask me about the Enneagram, um i say like read just go read a general overview of all the types and there may be some that you're like, oh, that could be me. Maybe that's me. And right. just count out the ones that it doesn't feel that way about. And that's what happened with me. I was like, well, I could be, I could be a one. I could be a three. I could be a seven. I could be an eight. Okay, so you've S- never taken the test. I never taken the. T- I've never taken the Interesting. test. Interesting. No. I never yeah. did. I never did. And so I, yeah, I went through those types, and then it was like, okay, well, let's read a little bit more about those types, and kind of it was just like process of elimination. And the thing that I feel like always tells you. What your type is, is the one that you're like, I don't want that to be my type. (laughs) The cringy, the cringy thing. It's like, here's a spotlight on
0: all of your junk. You're Uh, welcome. Well, that's what I found is so fascinating about this particular test and these traits, because usually all the other ones I've taken are kind of like how you're perceived by others, you know. Right. Whereas this one is really like what motivates you, whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. And yeah, oh, I get really cringy. When when you know when you're like looking down the line of starting up at healthy and moving down into when you're <laughs> unhealthy. And I my like my unhealthiest point, I think it's like a psychopathic murderer or something. I don't know. It's yeah. like bad.
2: Yeah. All of my all like a lot of the types, they're level nine often ends. And this is obviously, this is not something to joke about, but they all, right. a lot of them end in suicide. Like it's really, yeah. really internal dark stuff, except for the ones that I identified with were like, I'm going to kill everyone else. <laughs> like <that's kind laughs> of, And I was like, oh yeah, that sounds about right. That's awful. But oh well. That's hilarious.
0: So, I mean, obviously since you didn't take the test, there was no surprise involved. You know, you kind of said, okay, I'm a one. So, what what about the one really jumped out at you, whether it be positive or negative? Right. Um,
2: I think the thing that probably continues to jump out at me is how judgmental I can be. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not something that, um, that I like too much about myself. Obviously, nobody wants to be seen as judgmental. But I think the hard thing about being a one um, is that when what other people's perceive as me being judgmental and telling them how to do things mm-hmm. is me just trying to make the world a better place. <gasps> yes. Like that's all it is. It's just very idealistic. Like I just want, that's, that's part of why I have created the business that I have, because mm-hmm. I want people, I see all these ways that people could be letting go of things that don't matter and then doing things that do matter better. And so that, that's like the whole thing is I just want, like, I'm secretly a Pollyanna. I just want everyone to be happy and to live their lives in a beautiful way. But I just come across as like this really, really intense, like (laughs) label maker person to make it happen. And so it can be, yeah, I I have had uh, lots of experiences where people have kindly and sometimes not so kindly, and I deserved it, but have told me like, you're being really judgmental. And that's not how I see it, but that doesn't always matter. Like if that's how they see it, I have to be aware
0: of that. So yeah, that's hard. That is. Well, it does seem like the key motivation for ones is, you know, wanting to strive higher, to improve everything, you know, to be consistent, to be right, to justify themselves. Right. And the basic fear really is what? Just that you don't want to be...
2: The word is defective, okay, yeah. and um, and so that could mean a lot of different things. And I think that's why you see I, I have a lot of friends who are ones mm-hmm. and um and there are parts of our lives obviously, that are similar, but um there are a lot of ways that are different. and I think the reason is because what makes you feel defective could be different, like across the board, you know, Ooh. like whether it's being um, like your internal and external uh external. That's a super good word. <laughs> I love your that word. Internal, I'm going to use that now. Inner, I know, right? Your inner and outer world are yeah. um like different, like they have to be aligned. Like you can't um you can't be th- a different person in different situations. Like there are certain personality types that can um there can be social chameleons, you know, they can change and kind of based on who they're with. And sometimes that's actually really great. You know, that can be a really wonderful trait. Um, But if you're, if you see that as a defective thing Uh that you're not aligned, then that's going to motivate everything. But that's not necessarily how everyone, everyone, like capital O, sees their defectiveness. So it just kind of, it kind of depends, I think, on
0: who you are. So, and I found that too, for instance, Kristen and I are both threes. And it's actually funny because when we did the Myers-Briggs personality, we did a couple of episodes on that. It was, you know, she's like, I'm an INFJ. And I'm like, I'm an ISFJ. And I'm like, God, I wish we could be a little different, you know, so we could like <laughs> give two sides of the coin. But I will say, Kristen and I are both threes, but we are very different. We are yeah. very different in the way we re- approach problems. I think we, we have that same overarching, that image is very important to us. We wanna be seen, we wanna be admired. We want, you know, so we're always doing, doing and trying to do our very best at all times. But yeah, it, it really does break down to each particular person. And that brings me to ask you, what are your thoughts on on the wing, the wing aspect?
2: Yeah, the wings. The wings are tricky. They're the wings and they're also subtypes. Like within each yes. of the nine types, there are right. three subtypes. And so really it's like, um, for anybody who's skeptical about this, like I'm not one of nine different, there are only, uh, there can't be just nine people in the world. Um, and there aren't, there are 27, um, (laughs) there are 27. (laughs) It's actually not, it's fine. Um, but no, you're right. There are lots of nuances to it with the wings and the subtypes and all that kind of stuff. So, um, basically the way that wings work is, um, it's one of the numbers on either side of you. And while your Enneagram number, um, doesn't really change over the course of your life. Your wings can like you can sort of develop
0: Oh, a little
2: bit. Yeah. They kind of change as you get older. Okay. Um because we're all, here's the okay, ready? Let's just get super deep. Here's yeah. the thing about the Enneagram. It is um I think what happens sometimes, especially when we look at those nine levels of health, is we can be like, okay, I want to become the healthiest three that I can be, the healthiest one, whatever it is Mm -hmm. that I can be, that really the goal of the Enneagram is not to help you become more entrenched in your number. It is to show you, it's to reveal that you have created as a child, you have created these blind spots and these protective, um, these protective measures that kind of linger in the shadows a little bit, and they've just become the natural way that you move through the world. And you don't necessarily have to move through the world that way. Like, um, for me, I am naturally a really passionate person. I'm a pretty impulsive person sometimes. And most ones are not those things. Like they're not, they're definitely not impulsive, you know, uh-huh. like, um, but what happens is the when you grow up, we have these things that happen to us and, um, and we as children need to feel safe. Mm-hmm. And so that's where that that fear and desire come from. It's like, okay, so how am I going to be in the world? And so we just develop these ways of kind of coping, um, but they don't necessarily have to be like, well, I'm just going to, um, yeah, I'm going to become a, a stronger one. It's like, no, I want to recognize that my pattern is to see everything as black and white and to, um, become defensive and to try to justify every single thing I do because I want everything to be perfect. I can see that that is my inclination, that that is how I have been since I was six. Um, but I don't have to necessarily be that way anymore. You know, like I can be like, Oh, I can be impulsive and it's not going to make me a horrible person with a defective soul. Okay, like that I don't all, have
0: to yeah, go together. That just blew my mind. Like, seriously, oh, that just blew my <laughs> mind. I'm because you know, I, I haven't even thought about it that way before. Now, I took this test decades ago and you know, promptly read my report and forgot about it. So, like I'm just now getting back into it. And that is something that I have not really thought about that, you know, it hmm. really isn't that this is you. It's more like this yeah. is how you've behaviorally or what in whatever way, as you've grown older, ways that you've adapted to the world. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be those things. Oh my goodness. Right. Right. So it gives you freedom.
2: And see that, that's why I just, um, this is why it can actually be kind of tough to be a one in particular when it comes to any sort of personality stuff, but with the Enneagram, because um, it's so easy to measure it feels like it would be easy to measure like, okay, here is my path of growth. And you kind of lean into those things that you're actually trying to um, kind of become unanchored by. So um, it's it's such an interesting process. Self-awareness and self-discovery is such an interesting process. And I will say, man, it might be good that you didn't dive in a few years ago. <laughs> because I'm telling you what, if I if I had started to do this when I was in my Mm twenties or like had a new baby or something like that, Mm -hmm. I have three kids now would have been like, nope, it is not time for me to become self-aware and dig into the deepest, darkest parts of my soul. Like I feel like you have to be, I think you kind of have to be ready to to say like, okay, we're going to do some work now. So like when it comes to this, how, how do you do the work? I think that it starts by just um, admitting the problem. Like Mm -hmm. just sort of, or not the problem, that's the wrong word, but recognizing the tendency. Mm -hmm. I think that's where it starts. And so, um, but I do think I have found this to be so true of myself. Like you can say like, well, I'm just a really, here we go. Owning up to your, um, kind of faults Mm -hmm. is not equal to growing from those faults to growing away from those faults. Like just saying that you are a certain way, but not actually moving in some sort of direction of maybe not leaning into that way anymore. Like I, I feel like so often it's like, well, this is just how I am. And, and that's fine. I think that's where it starts. You need to just realize like, oh, this is what I do. And this is how, this is how I ride. Um, but there has to be a point of like, okay, we're going to, we're actually going to start recognizing this and coming up with alternatives. So for example, um, I load the dishwasher like a Nazi. It's terrible. Um, I'm like, this is how we're doing it. That's probably in this current climate, that's probably not the word to use. I'm um, just going to go ahead and say that now. Okay. We can say that again. Um, but no, like when I when I uh, clean the kitchen, when I load the dishwasher, when I do things that are, I feel like there's there is one best way to do this. Mm-hmm. If my husband comes and helps me, and he loads the dishwasher. He knows now kind of not to, Right. he comes in and and loads the dishwasher and, and I'm kind of watching him and he's Mm -hmm. like, do you want to do this instead? And I'm like, yeah, I actually kind of do. Mm -hmm. And that was how it was for like the first, we've been married 15 years. That's kind of how it was for the first like 13 years of our marriage. (laughs) And, um, but it's just been in, um, in the reason yeah, in the last couple of years where it's like, okay, him wanting to help me, like him wanting to show me love by helping me do something where he just wants me to be able to sit down on the couch at the end of the day. I've been taking care of three kids all day long and right. he knows I'm tired. And so he, his motivation is not to be like, you're doing it wrong. His motivation is not to um, frustrate me by doing it differently than I would do it. It's up to me to let go of my desire for the dishwasher to be loaded in a certain way. And instead to say, Thank you, honey, for doing that and to accept it and receive it and go and sit down. And then when I unload the dishwasher the next morning for me to not resent him for doing it wrong, it's just seeing that shift in your, yeah, it's just like moving away from this is just how I am into, okay, well, if this is how I am and I don't, I don't really want to do that though, because what does that do to your relationship? So it's just, it's just about being aware. It's just about being mindful. I think Um, that's that's just such a huge part of it.
0: Okay, so I've got a question for you. Anyone that's new to this and they're looking into it, maybe they've just taken the test or they've just, you know, looked over online. Do you have any books that you really love? A great place to
2: start, I think is, it's called The Road Back to You. Okay. Um, and it is a really, it's it's by um, Ian Morgan Cron and Suzanne Stabile. Ian Morgan Cron is a fantastic writer. He wrote one of my favorite mem- memoirs called Jesus, My Father, the CIA, and Me. Mm-hmm. And he's such a good storyteller. It's like <laughs> such a great. It's great. Um, but anyway, he and this um, his friend Suzanne they wrote this book, and it's it's a primer primer mm-hmm. opening. I don't know which one you're supposed to how do you I always say primer. Okay, I don't know. I do, no. But I, I don't feel know. Like it's, I think it's primer. I don't know. Somebody smarter than me said primer, and I was like, <laughs> oh no, I've been saying it wrong this whole time. Um, but no, it's a great place to start. It's it's like funny. It's, okay. it's written in um, like it's not it's not very clinical sounding, you know, okay. it just feels yeah. like you're having yeah. a conversation. So if you're getting yeah. started, that's a great place to get started. Okay. But then if you become like an absolute junkie about it and you mm-hmm. want to really dive into the subtypes and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. there's a book called The Complete Enneagram and okay. it's by Beatrice Chestnut. And okay. it is like, it's the kind of thing where you start reading and you're like, I got to take a break. Like not because the, I mean, the writing is very, um, academic and smart and it's like, Uh oh no, she's like not joking around. But it's so detailed about the types and about your path of growth and all of this stuff that it's like, okay, this is a lot to take in. I need to take a break for like a week. (laughs) Then I'll (laughs) come back. So that's a good (laughs) place to go if you're like, I'm ready to dive deep, but um
0: but like don't don't read that first or you will just give up. That sounds good. Well we will definitely link up to both of those at selfiepodcast.com. But okay, so finally one last question, because yeah. you are so informed. I mean, I, I love this. I feel like I could talk to you forever. Can we do like a 13 hour podcast about this? Yeah, but, please. <laughs> say someone's just found out they're a one. So what is, what's the advice you would give them about yeah. being a one? It's funny.
2: I was looking through um, just some of the writings about being a one um, before talking to you just to kind of remember all all of the junk yeah. that there is, and I know that um so much of what you obviously what you guys talk about on this show is about self care and um one of the the things that is hardest for a one is you you want to be in control so badly, you mm-hmm. want things to be perfect for Many reasons. Really, they're they're good reasons. They're idealistic life world-changing reasons. Gandhi was a one. You know, like yeah. Joan of Arc was a one. There yeah. are people ones kind of can change the world, but it can be very overwhelming um to put all of that pressure on yourself. And so when it comes to understanding that you're a one, I would just say that um a couple of things that um the things that can get ones into trouble, especially in terms of like, in terms of self-care is, um, like eating disorders, mm-hmm. uh, diet pills, like things that you can control. Like you, if you can't control your external world, you're going to control your body as much as humanly possible. Okay. Um, and so I think that's something that's really important to remember just in the context of, of the show, but like, there's also this sense of not ever being content with anything,
3: mm-hmm.
2: including who you are, um, there are some types who they see what they are and they see kind of the good and the bad and they can kind of move through it and be okay. You know, like they can keep, keep moving, but ones are so idealistic and they want themselves to be so like, they know they can't be perfect, but they're going to die trying, you know, right. like they're just yeah. going to keep going. And so I would say if you know that you're a one, if you are wondering if you're a one to really just let go, um, which is the hardest thing to tell a one in the entire world. Um, That's why everyone's like, you should do, if you're a one, you should do yoga. I'm like, please don't make me. (laughs) Please don't make me. Because it's so like quiet and contemplative and you fall sometimes and you don't always hold the poses the same way day after day. And and you also don't see results right away. And there are a lot of things that can be so challenging for people who really just want to be the best they can be as soon as humanly possible. Yes. So if you, if you are a one, if you're listening and you're a one, I want to leave you with a, a sentence that, um, my best friend, she is a writer and a brilliant human. Her name's Emily P Freeman. And she tells me all the time, and I, this is like my personal mantra, you cannot put a system on your soul. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. And that's what ones want to do is we want to systemize everything, including our inner work and including our souls. And you just can't do it. You have to let go sometimes.
0: So good. So that would be my advice. Oh, well, thank you so much, Kendra, for joining us today. This was awesome. And people, you have got to check out Kendra's podcast, The Lazy Genius Podcast. It's about 20-ish minutes of awesome. So definitely check her out. I
2: might change that, uh, my new tagline to that. It's 20-ish minutes of awesome. <laughs> I <love that.
0: laughs>
2: See? I might sometimes.
0: Win-win. There we go.
2: There it is. Well, <laughs> thanks for having, this has been so fun. And um, yeah, it's just, I love hearing normal people talk about things um, like the Enneagram, like self-care, like what you guys are doing. Like it's just all so accessible. So I just appreciate what you guys are doing. It's just oh, great work. Thank you so much.
1: We're going to take a quick break and talk about a new sponsor we have on Selfie Podcast, and it is a wedding website called Zola. It's free for people to use. It's a great resource for engaged couples, and it's really fun. So they are reinventing the wedding registry and trying to make it easier on people.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. So it the registry itself has everything you could love. I mean, department stores, honeymoon funds, fitness classes, wine subscriptions. So it's not like your typical. Um, there's tons of brands. I think there's something like 500 top brands and like 50,000 gifts you can choose from. Um, But it's super easy to use for couples and their guests. And I think one of the coolest aspects is they have this group gifting feature. So it lets multiple friends and guests kind of go together and um, contribute to like a big gift for the wedding. So it's super easy, super fun. You can personalize your registry with photos and notes, kind of telling people why you love the things you want, like what you're coveting, all that stuff. And it's top rated on the iPhone. So if you're on the go, everything's on the app, super easy to use. In addition to having a really killer registry, it also has tons
1: of wedding planning tools. It is kind of a one-stop shop for engaged couples. You can create your wedding website with them. It has a customizable checklist and you can even manage your guest list right from the website or from the app on your phone. <laughs> I did not have this when I got married. I know, I'm actually <laughs> super jealous. <laughs>
0: I'm like, where was this when I was registering? Oh my I gosh. I was sending out
1: mail invitations and hope you know, hoping beyond hope that people <laughs> went to JCPenney.
0: JC <laughs> JCPenney. <laughs> okay, so if you're interested and you want to sign up with Zola, you can receive a $50 credit towards your registry right now. So you want to go to Zola.com, which is Z-O-L-A.com backslash selfie, and that will get you a $50 credit towards your registry. So let's head back into a little bit more of Enneagram type one. So now we have another type one to bestow their wisdom upon us. Jenny is a creative producer in Chicago, and she loves the Enneagram so much that her type is listed in her Instagram bio. Now that is commitment. So Jenny, welcome. And tell me a little bit about how you got into all of this.
3: Yeah, so... um I actually learned about it through my employer, which I'm sure, I don't know how many other people find out about it, but I joined staff at a church about six years ago, and like my first team meeting, people were like, well, that makes sense because you're seven, and you know, oh, yeah, that's so nine of you, and (laughs) I was like, what is happening? And it was just, yeah, it was, yeah, so I was pretty quickly exposed to it, and then I actually... um, I got referred to my counselor um, based on the fact that she knew Enneagram types because when I joined the team, I was like just, yeah, I was really overwhelmed and didn't really know how to navigate it. So um, initially I thought I was a seven just based on just based on like the test that I took. Mm-hmm. But the more that I talked to people, um, the more I really learned like... Yeah, that maybe the test isn't the only way to find out your type. So, yeah, I started seeing a counselor um, where we quickly ruled out that I am not a seven. Um, And then we hopped over to me thinking I was a four. Okay. And then quickly ruled that out as well. So yeah, it was actually, I mean, it, it's interesting because I'm sure you'll get into this a little bit later, but the ones, fours, and sevens are really connected. Yes. Um, so ones go to seven when we're healthy and we go to four when we're unhealthy. So it is interesting that like kind of on my own, I was picking up on those things. And it's just interesting that, um, you know, one of the, one of the things they tell you when you're trying to figure out your type is the type that you believe to be the worst is probably yes. yours. Yes. Um. So when I first was reading about the one, I was like, oh, that person <laughs> just sounds like they're so <laughs> annoying and, like, you know, they just see things so black. Like, that isn't, I'm, I have, you know, fun and, you know, right. like, I'm, yeah. So it's just, it's interesting to go back to that and realize, okay, like that, clearly there were some things in that that really stood out to me that I didn't, want to even recognize in myself. The cringiest number for people is usually their number. Oh, totally. (laughs) Yeah. It's, um, yeah, like you don't even need to take the test. Just read the descriptions and be like oh, I don't want to be friends with that person. You're like, oh, that's because it's you. So <laughs> sorry, everyone else. Yeah. Another, I think, way to figure out your number is I subscribe to the Ooh. Um, which I don't, it's from the Enneagram Institute. Okay. And so you get a daily email based on your type. Ooh. Um, and so I started getting them, I think when I started, I was getting them for type seven. Okay. And sometimes they would kind of connect. But once I switched over to one, it was like, oh my gosh, you've been following me around. You're in my brain. Right. How, like, how are you getting at this core? So it's just, it's almost like if you believe in like astrology, it's almost, it feels like you're getting your horoscope
0: for the day, but it's always like dead on. That's a really good tip. And we will link up to that on selfiepodcast.com if you guys want to check it out. So it's also interesting in that, um, another one that I spoke to Kendra, she didn't, she's never taken the test, you know, it's kind of mm -hmm. like exactly what you're saying. So I'm feeling like I'm getting a bit of that common theme as well. Whereas, you know, the test is great, but you know, if you really want to delve into it, you, it might not be right the first time and you should really like dig into those those descriptions. So what are some of the hallmarks of the one that really resonate with you? Uh, Well, and this is the
3: reason I did not like this person when (laughs) I read this description. Um, These are the people that want to know all the rules. Mm -hmm. They want to know the right way to do things because they want to do them the right way. They, um, uh, They have kind of an inner critic that is constantly with them. It's not just like a moral, I I think it's beyond a moral compass. It is everything filters through this because there is a right way to do everything and there is a wrong way to do everything. Hmm. Like it really is that binary. It really is that black and white. There's a lot of, um, yeah, like, I I mean, I will say most meetings I'll start asking questions like, okay, so what exactly are the rules here or Mm -hmm. what are the expectations here? Because- That's the framework that I need to operate in to know, to kind of satisfy my inner critic of, okay, are you actually doing this the right way? Or are you doing this the wrong way? Like that, that for me feels like, um, and it that feels like the most like simple explanation. Right. Um, and I wouldn't, I don't think that it's just rules for rules sake. I think that ones are people of vision. Um, I think they see this broken world, and it breaks our hearts because we know it could be so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, so we believe that the way to the betterment is through, okay, this is all like messy. How can we clean it up and make it beautiful? My husband and I we have we joke that, like, there's a couple of um just locations that my oneness comes out in full force. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the kitchen in the car because, um, there's, there's like good intent, but it, it can sometimes feel real. It can be crippling in your relationships because people don't feel like there's room for them to figure out how yes. to do things on their own. Yes. Um, so that's, yeah. And I think, you know, the, they say that the shadow side for ones is anger. And I mm-hmm. think, um, a lot of times it's anger at ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even think it's necessarily outward. I think, um, I've actually started trying to, in conversations or in places where I'm feeling a little um vulnerable or just not, I don't know. I try I, I used to constantly be asking, like, Is this right? Am I answering this the right way? am I? And now I'm trying to shift it to like, is this a helpful contribution? And so just oh, that's taking, great the rightness out of it, um, because there are just, yeah, trying to, and this is like, thanks to my counselor, but yeah, trying to hold the both and the tension of like, things can be this way and that way. Yes. It doesn't, you don't
0: always just have to. You don't um, need to live in the binary. Land. Yeah. 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 You know, I really want to get to what kind of advice you would give to these people that just mm-hmm. have learned that they're ones and they want to navigate mm-hmm. the world in the best way being a one.
3: I wrote down, be kind to yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there is a lot of, you know, we talked about this a little bit, like, there is ones want to, ones walk into a room, this is what I've heard, and I love this, because I think it's so true. Ones walk into a room, and they say, what's broken here, and how can I fix it? And there is something so, like, that is beautiful. That is a beautiful way to look at the world, like, how yeah. can we make things better? But I I have found that there is an enormous weight of responsibility that ones often feel that cannot be sustained. Um, the world's betterment does not rest entirely on your shoulders. You can do things, and that's amazing, um, but it's not all up to you. And um, there is a the, – yeah, there is that inner critic that can just – constantly berate you for did I say the right thing? Did I do it the right way? Like just this inner right dial that like just can really beat you up. And over time it just feels like yeah, it can it can um yeah, rob you of being able to even get to the like, we're gonna fix things because you're so convinced that like you're so completely broken. And unless you fix yourself perfectly, you can't go out and do other things. So Um, yeah, I, I really like, that's a mantra that I pretty much repeat to myself almost every day is be kind to yourself. Um, that, yeah, that there is room, there is room for your idea and someone else's idea and, um, yeah, and to just be a learner and learn from other people and, um, not be meeting those, those differing opinions or differing approaches as a threat to your own way of doing things. Um, but that it could be that you're both right, that you're yeah. both wrong. Like I got the, I felt icky saying that, but like that could be actually, you know, like there yeah. are actually different ways to to view things. So, um, yeah, I think there can be such a firm line that ones often draw. Um, and it's just really our job to figure out how do we live a little bit more in the gray, in the blurred lines. Um, Yeah, because otherwise you're going to just be all right by yourself because no one wants to be around something like that. thank you so much, Jenny. Yeah. Thank you. This is really fun. I could literally, I'm sad this is over because I could talk about this (laughs) all day. I know. I can't
0: even... I I know. I know. I hear you. And I'm hearing that, and I feel that as well. But we really appreciate you being on with us today.
1: Okay. That was super helpful to understand a one better. And now we're going to shift gears a little bit because we want to talk about Botox. Now, you know, as you guys know, we like to talk about both the silly and the <laughs> meaningless <laughs> in our in our self care, and this one is going to be a little more on the vain side. But um, we've had people ask us about Botox, um, and we thought it would be an interesting conversation. Um, although I have to admit, <laughs> Sarah, <laughs> what I feel a little embarrassed about this topic.
0: Why? Well, you've because you've done it.
1: I've done it. And i it's so funny because I was thinking about it this morning. I'm like, I basically admitted with no qualms on our <laughs> pubic hair episode, like every technique I've done to remove my pubic hair. But yet this one feels like I'm a little <laughs> embarrassed. I don't know why.
0: Well, how many people are doing Botox though? So many people. I feel like the majority of my friends probably are. Maybe not the majority, but I'm, I'm thinking 50-50. Have you done it? No. I didn't think I'm so. I'm going to shame you right now. No, I
1: haven't. Well, I never you do that. haven't. Like no. green beauty. It's the opposite. Right, it's right. It's botulism
0: into it's, your face. It's botulism into your face. Well, well let's, let's actually, let's,
1: let's, let's talk about what it actually is. Because okay. I do think there are some misconceptions because I've I've seen people like see women with like the big lips and be like, oh, too much Botox. And that's oh, not, not actually Botox. That's not Botox. <laughs>
0: So Botox truly is botulism. It's a kind of poison that's injected into your muscle and it paralyzes the muscle. That's just Mm -hmm. the most basic way to put it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really interesting. I just heard someone speak on this. Botox in itself really isn't that dangerous. You know, they've used it for a very long time. Um, If you're obviously with a physician or an NP that knows how to use it, who's you know, you don't have to be so concerned with it being a danger unless you were to have some sort of reaction that would be personal to you. But um, it isn't that dangerous, but it does paralyze the muscle, which in itself is a little bit creepy.
1: Yeah, it is a little creepy. And and so the way that Botox works, just to clear up any misconceptions, um, it it paralyzes, and so the reason that you would use Botox is actually it's not to to make your lips look bigger or you know to to do something. It's not to add something. What you're actually doing is trying to prevent wrinkles from forming. So the most common use of Botox, and this is where I've used it, and the only place I've used it, is right in between um, the eyes on your forehead, that furrowed brow. Um, I believe the the clinical term is uh, clabella. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. And so, you know, some of us um, have some wrinkles, like a tissue there that wrinkles really easily. And so what Botox does, it doesn't, it cannot take wrinkles away. So if you've got some wrinkles you don't love, Botox is not the cure for you. But what it can do is prevent those wrinkles from forming. Because when you furrow your brow, or when you laugh, or when you, you know, suck on a straw, um, all of those movements create that kind of well-worn groove that eventually becomes a wrinkle. And so what you're doing is you're not allowing your skin to ever contract into that motion so that the wrinkle cannot form. So Botox is preventative. And the bummer about it is in order for it to work, you have to use it continuously.
0: That is the truth. And this is where I'm going to be. If you take a break, your muscle is going to start working again. But here's the thing. Are you ready for the most Debbie Downer thing you're ever going to hear in your life? No. (laughs) I'm always here to rain on everyone's parade when it comes to this beauty stuff. But here's the deal. So when you are repetitively putting in this and paralyzing your muscle, think about your body if it were paralyzed, think about a paraplegic, think about even if you break your leg and have it in a cast for a while, what happens to the muscle?
1: Atrophy. It
0: it atrophies. Yeah. And so consistent use of Botox over a long period of time, you're actually causing that muscle to atrophy, but the structure around it's still there. So if you're using Botox for long periods of time, you're eventually going to have to start using fillers to fill where the muscle has atrophied. So for me- interesting. I have
1: not had to do that yet. And I have been, I will admit, I have been doing Botox for about 10 years. And yeah. for me, I mean, yes, I, I, I'm not gonna pretend like this isn't a vanity thing. It's, a, it's completely a vanity thing. But I have a very furrowed brow. My daughters have very furrowed brows. It's genetic. And my entire life, people have been asking me to smile mm-hmm. or asking me what's wrong. My whole- Life like bitchy resting face. Yeah, you have resting face. bitchy face. Yeah. I really do. If I am not if I have a neutral face, my brow furrows. And it's something that I've hated since I was a teenager. It's I'm I'm so tired of people thinking I'm in a grumpy mood or mm-hmm. you know some dumbass guy saying, Why don't you smile? Oh yeah. Um and so for me, if I can if I can erase that furrow. I truly do look I look more accessible. I look mm-hmm. friendlier. Um, and it's not even about looking old. I actually don't I have crow's feet. I don't care about those. Yeah, yeah, because I feel like whatever i'm I'm 43 I I can look 43. I don't care. I just don't want to look grumpy. And so really that is why I have done Botox because I hate feeling like I look stern
0: and mean all the time. Well, that completely makes sense. And it, that's your that's a personal decision and like you said it's improved the way you feel about yourself. And yeah, I, you know, I draw the line where I just feel like, well, look like with anyone's face where it's just like who are you anymore? Like who who are you you know me. I'm just very into Aging gracefully. I want to embrace. I I like character in women's faces. I think it's complete crap that men become more distinguished and sexier with time, yet we become... Uglier and homely, and if we were on The Handmaid's Tale, we'd totally be banished to the colonies. And like, I (laughs) just—it makes me so mad. So like, I have like this undercurrent in me, you know how I am. That when I talk about these things, there's such a there's such a bigger issue underneath this all. But for that, and I actually
1: I feel the same way as you, and I think that's why I feel a lot of shame and embarrassment in admitting that I do it because. All of those values you just stated, I completely agree with. So it feels like this cognitive dissonance thing that I do. And then I feel like I have to explain it. But like I did go to one doctor who then was like, okay, well, we need to do your crow's feet too. And I was like, I'm out. I'm out. out. No, I don't, I don't need to do that. But it's funny, even when you're talking about how men grow old, you know seemingly more gracefully, or we give them more grace. Even with a furrowed brow, a man with a furrowed brow is smoldering. Oh, exactly. A woman with a furrowed brow is a bitch. Ex-
0: Ugh, exactly. Exactly. You know? It's so frustrating. I just hope that most women aren't doing it because they feel like they need to look different than they really are to be accepted in society for the age that they are. You know what I'm saying? Well,
1: but, but women are. I mean, I, I do have friends who do Preventative Botox on every potential wrinkle on their face. I mean, uh, I, I yeah. know people oh. in their 30s who are doing their crow's feet so that they can never develop. They're doing, you know, the um, what? What do you call that when you get the pucker lines on your lips?
0: Yes, and get those. I mean, there's golden. so
1: many celebrities that are doing it, and the oh, hallmark yeah. of of too much Botox is not like fish lips. The hallmark of too much Botox is. You, you can't make
0: facial expressions. You look shocked at all times because you're well, just- I mean, Nicole eyes, Kidman, yeah. yes. I and mean, I'm sorry to
1: call people out, but she does have that overly Botoxed face where there's not much
0: movement in her face. Right, right. No, and that looks horrible. And I, I have to say, Kristen, you know, you're in the mecca of, of this kind of behavior and this kind I of- am. Because I used to live there and I can honestly say that- so many people I knew who were my age at the time, mid thirties into late thirties, didn't even look. They looked like aliens. I, I hate, but they looked like aliens—the big lips and the Botoxed foreheads—and it just doesn't look natural at all. No, it's I frightening, know. And, and it's, it's almost a, an Orange County look. It is. It is an Orange County look. I'm glad you mentioned that. I because I truly believe that people think and that I looks don't really good. Understand the
1: fish lips thing. And I no. again, you know, maybe this is full lip privilege or something. Cause I do have full <laughs> lips, you know, that's, but like, I just think it ages people. I have friends that do it. I, I don't get it. I, I really don't get it. Like, I just think you immediately look older and like Lisa Renna.
0: You do. You just look like you're trying too hard is what you look yeah, like. And just know. who wants to do that? But anyway, yeah. So I have to say too, you know, Botox does wonders for, you know, people that have Excessive sweating. They use Botox under the arms. So, like, there's actually a lot of really good uses for it. And I think there are a lot of people out there that are probably using Botox, but they have it done so minimally and so well that you would never think they had it done. And if that's the case, more power to you. I have to say, I have to say, after talking about all this, I have bangs that go down past my eyebrows. Um, No, yeah, that's your Botox. That's my natural Botox. Now, I've had bangs for years. And if I get rid of them, you know, I might be like god because I have I have a furrowed brow as well but no one can see it because I have bangs so if you don't want to do botox but you want to cover your forehead <laughs> <laughs> might I suggest growing bangs
1: <laughs> uh, and there are other products that work the same way as botox dysport is one of them mm-hmm. you know they're all just kind of the same thing they paralyze your muscles but, you know, I just think it's something you have to use with a lot of caution, especially, you know, I mean, I feel like your forehead, you know, but when you start poking it in around your eyes. Oh, yeah. You just, it's something you want to be careful about. Absolutely. And, you know, every woman has the right to do whatever she feels like she needs to do to her face, you know. Yes. Um, but its it's just tough. But at the same time, I know both you and I wish that we could all just kind of look how we look. I know. On Uh, our march to death.
0: (laughs) (laughs) On our march into the twilight of Uh. our years. But I don't know. I do have to say I do. Maybe it's who I've found myself being attracted to or aligning myself with. But I feel like there is a movement happening right now for women as they grow older to embrace it. Now, I'm not saying, you know, no one's going to be doing Botox. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm seeing a lot more women you know, through social media, Instagram, who are growing out their grays, who are not, you know, Photoshopping their faces, who are really embracing getting older. So I'm down with that. I think we should do a whole episode on this because while I agree with you,
1: it's still a curated growing old gracefully. I mean, we're not, we're not like celebrating like wild eyebrows that come down to the (laughs) crease. We're not
0: celebrating chin hairs. You know what I mean? like Kristen, can you just give me a little bit though? This is way better than it was (laughs) 10 years ago when all we had, you know, were like really people were looking at print magazines that were like super Photoshop. Like you didn't see a wrinkle on anyone's face. I just think with the introduction of social media, people can be more themselves. And so more people are seeing it, I guess. I'm not saying we are anywhere close to where I'd like to be, but I do feel like maybe we're moving that way. And I do have to say one little tip about the whole um, growing old gracefully and trying to just work with what you have. I I heard Rosemarie Swift, who is the founder of RMS, which is a green beauty line, which is fantastic. I think she's in her 50s. And she was talking about how all of these researchers recently have really been diving into what it is about a youthful face that's so appealing. You know, for a long time, it was symmetry, You know, if one side is as symmetrical as the other. But what they found, what draws people to youthful faces is contrast. Because um, when you're, mm. as we get older, we really start to pale out. Everything starts to become more uniform in the face. Um, when mm-hmm. you're youthful, you have more of a, like a color in your lips. Your brows are fuller in a good way, not growing down right. to your chin, like Kristen just said. <laughs> but anyway, she had some really good points about growing old gracefully and creating contrast in the face, like always being sure to do your brows, which Kristen would attest to. She does. Um, um, preach preach, you know, putting on a lip color that makes contrast in the face. So just creating that. I thought right. it was really interesting. I'd never thought about that before. And now I'm like all the time, got to get my lips on, like my darker color, mm-hmm. you know, to create that contrast. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting. Well, and another thing I thought we should also mention too, because, you know, we, we often
1: try to give green alternatives. I will say this. There really is no alternative to Botox. No. Like, what it does. There's no cream. There's no, no. you know, um, that's going to actually cause that creasing uh, because, you know, the creasing is muscular. Um, right. there's nothing, there's no cream that you can, that you can use. That's so going just to give get you the some bangs effects, people. <laughs> yeah. Bangs, bangs are the green Botox. <laughs> bangs are the green
0: Botox. <laughs> Okay, so next week, we are taking a slight diversion from the Enneagram because it's time that we talk about the holidays, in particular, our gift guide for the holidays. We have an entire hour chock full of our favorite picks. So see you next week. Thanks for joining
1: us. Continue the selfie conversation with us on Instagram at, at Selfie Podcast and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash selfie podcast.
0: You can also visit our website to check out the resources we've talked about in each episode at selfiepodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to Selfie on iTunes so that you can catch up with us next week. A huge
1: thanks to Shepherd Audio for our intro music.
0: Take care.